What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. April is a huge month for TV, and starting this weekend, the Recapables feed returns to give you in-depth analysis on your favorite TV shows, including Killing Eve, Billions, and many more. There will also be a special Precapables series on the Recapables feed on the final season of Game of Thrones, where our staff forecasts what will happen every Sunday on the show. So make sure to subscribe now before the premiere of Killing Eve and Game of Thrones on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Billy Batson. Make sure you make him feel at home. They seem nice, but don't buy it. It gets real Game of Thrones around here. Dude, just messing around. You look at me and you're like, why so dark? You're a disabled foster kid. You've got it all. I'm Sean Fennessy, Editor-in-Chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about expanded universes. I've got a two-part show today. In the first part, I'll be talking to my colleague, Miles Surrey, about the movie Shazam, and then right after that, I'll be joined by the director of Shazam, David Sandberg, very talented Swedish fellow who made a couple of movies before this one among them, Annabelle Creation. Sandberg's taken a step up with Shazam, which is, of course, in the DCEU which is a series of movies that have included Aquaman and Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. And to join me to talk about DC and Shazam is, as I said, Miles Surrey. Miles, what's up? Thanks for having me. Happy yeah, I'm, to talk. I'm really glad you're here because DC finds itself at an interesting inflection point, I would say. I thought Shazam was a very fun and entertaining movie, but it did not really feel like anything that had come in the DC universe before. Can you kind of explain to me what Shazam is and what it's trying to do? Sure. I mean, uh, I kind of had to do the same thing after watching the movie because, um, like, right around the time the post credit scene with an evil caterpillar happened, I was kind of like, I have no idea what any of this <laughs> stuff is. <laughs> so, uh, thankfully, Micah does have a, a piece on TheRinger.com, a great website, uh, kind of breaking down the kind of Shazam origins. But, yeah, he's uh, he was actually originally called Captain Marvel and... Like in the movie, there was like a wizard named Shazam who gave him like all these superpowers. But when he sort of got folded into uh, DC Comics because Marvel had its own Captain Marvel, he then became Shazam. But the whole spiel is basically the same thing. Like the wizard gives you powers. um, (laughs) You activate it by saying Shazam. And then I guess in the big screen version, you just become buff Zachary Levi. Yeah, I didn't even know buff Zachary Levi was going to be a thing that I would ever have to talk about. I can't say when I was watching Chuck 10 years ago that this ever crossed my mind that he would be a superhero. I think tonally, this movie is pretty significantly different from Superman versus Batman and the Justice League films and even Wonder Woman, which I thought was, you know, is is a very charming and obviously hugely successful movie. But there is a lightness in the tone and it's not quite as... Um, operatically goofy as Aquaman was. Uh, you know, what mm-hmm. did you make of the kind of movie that Shazam was trying to be? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was fun. It kind of had like a almost throwback Amblin Entertainment coming of age vibe, like something you would see from like Amblin in like the 80s, but with with the caveat that instead of a kid going on an adventure or something, he can just become a superhero. <laughs> but I, I thought it was a... It was, you know, it was kind of an appropriate tone for for the kind of hero that this guy is. And and I kind of like that, you know, a, a kid, like a teenager becoming Shazam, like he has like a bit of an aimlessness to him at the beginning. Like 
there's not the sort of great power with great with great power comes great responsibility type speech. He just sort of has to learn things on the fly. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things that the character does after he realizes his powers is he just goes to a convenience store and buys beer and candy. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 you know, the movie is clearly pitched as sort of what if big but superhero. And it's very effective in showing us like, well, maybe not what the real world ramifications would be because it's a little bit different in tone than the real world. But some of the like aspirations that you have as an adolescent and the things that you wish you could do when you were 13 Shazam does for the first hour of this movie and the movie ultimately just becomes a story about like friendship and the way that we act bigger and older than we are and what we can get away with in that time. And then it does ultimately turn into a little bit of a superhero movie. What did you make of the kind of balancing of those tones? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I did prefer sort of the the first half of the movie in that respect because, you, you know, there there's so many superhero movies out there and I feel like for the most part, it sort of gets derivative to when the movie gets to the guy discovers his powers, you know, like Peter Parker, like scaling skyscrapers type of thing. But it was fun for Shazam because it it felt very, like a very genuine response to like, what if a 14-year-old kid suddenly had powers? Like, yeah, he would try to buy beer. He would (laughs) go to a strip strip club and like beam about the chicken wings because this is a PG-13 movie. <laughs> um, you know, if if he's in a world where Superman and Batman exists and he doesn't really know what to do, is he just, if he can't like find people to save, is he just going <laughs> to, he's going to try to make cash and become a YouTube star. It, it was an interesting approach, but I think like I preferred that half of the movie versus like the Mark Strong shows up with seven CGI deadly sin archetypes or whatever and and it's time to punch him a lot. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that part was as effective. It's funny because it feels like a movie like this, which is not exactly a reinvention, but is a is a reconsidering of what these kinds of movies can be, still ultimately does arrive at its conclusion at the notion that it needs to feature a lot of punching and a lot of uh, fighting the bad guy. I'm, I'm curious to see if as we grow inside the DCEU, I guess, <laughs> much like Shazam, um, if they'll ever change the 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 approach that they take to having kind of the final showdown in the final 45 minutes of the movie. That was also one of my struggles, honestly, with Wonder Woman, which I thought, as I said, was really clever and well-made. And then ultimately just turned into Diana fighting like a demon monster who was played by David Thewlis. What do you make of the decisions that DC is now making to singularize each of their movies? Uh, I mean, it's interesting because like, you know, they, they did a pretty quick pivot from like, fast-tracking their Justice League movie, which, you know, ended up being, like, relative to the expectations, a bit of a bomb for them. Um, And also, it didn't really track well critically. But, you know, they're kind of, like, making these films that have this very little interconnectivity. Like, Aquaman, you know, was only really playing the seeds for Aquaman 2 and, I guess, a Trench spinoff, which I I could go on, like, a 20-minute tangent about the Trench, but I won't. I'm pumped about the Trench. (laughs) Can't wait for the Trench. And, And, like, kind of the same thing with Wonder Woman and its sequel... And and it feels that way with Shazam too. You know, if it does well enough at the box office, like I feel like it's just leading into Shazam two or maybe like a Black Adam movie, which is like a Shazam villain that's supposed to be played by Dwayne Johnson. If you look at like the DCU projects that are in the air, like a rebooted Suicide Squad with James Gunn, a new Batman movie, perhaps a Flash movie, there's all these other projects. Like the one glaring omission is there are no plans to make like a Justice League two, and not to say that would never happen again. But clearly, like, the DCEU right now is content just kind of throwing some stuff out there and seeing what resonates with audiences. Yeah, and if you look down their slate, we talked about this a little bit during the release of Aquaman, but 
I was just in at, in Vegas at CinemaCon, and and they were very proud of the approach that they were taking with telling their stories because the next the hand, next handful of movies they have is of course Shazam, and you know they also have Joker, which is coming in October, which also feels quite standalone and seems to have virtually nothing in common with a movie like Shazam. And then there's also uh, Birds of Prey, which is Kathy Yan's story of of you know, sort of five superhero team up that will also include Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. And that tonally and visually looks completely different from those other two movies. And so they've taken this decision to not just make that Flash movie and not just make whatever inevitable Green Lantern movie and with the same kind of stormy visual aesthetic that Zack Snyder created, but to just kind of individuate each story, which is what a lot of comic books are, actually. You know, a lot of comic books have Mm -hmm. separate illustrators. They have separate writers. Their tones are quite different. You know, Amazing Spider-Man could be quite different from X-Men. And Superman could be quite different from, you know, Detective Comics and what's going on with Batman. And of course, I guess next year, late next year, we'll have the Batman, which is Matt Reeves's Batman movie. Do you, you know, you're you're you very closely track the the comic book films for us. Mm-hmm. Is it more interesting to you if all of this stuff fits together, or do you like it better if it stands alone and the movies get to be what they are? Well, I I kind of like. Maybe I just have a bit of a Marvel fatigue just because like it feels like we've been preparing for Endgame like <laughs> just just forever. But um, yeah, I, I kind of like this approach because, you know, like if something doesn't, you know, resonate with with audiences, like I, I personally wasn't as big of a fan as as Wonder Woman as other people were, which is fine. You know, I, I, I like parts of it, but but, you know, for the most part, people really enjoyed it. And I, I think you know it's it's an interesting approach i think what will probably be most interesting is with wonder woman aquaman and and shazam they've all been pretty well received and and they've made a good amount of money so i'm curious what happens like how the dceu responds when something flops with critics audiences in the box office do they like shake it off or if it's like if it's embracing a certain a certain tone like you know let's say joker is actually quite terrible and and you know it's like a scorsese pastiche that just kind of doesn't work like will the dcu kind of avoid being that experimental again i i'm kind of curious to see what happens when there's kind of like a speed bump on the road for them i am too it's an interesting question because it does seem like in with shazam and most likely joker and a handful of these other movies they don't come with that 250 million dollar production price tag you know they're definitely smaller movies with more modest ambitions, at least in terms of the execution of the movie. And so the risk is lower. So if, let's say, Joker is not the, the sort of world-beating cultural colossus that many would have us believe this week, um, <laughs> that's okay. I think that they could probably survive that. And it's an, it, you're right, it is a really interesting pivot away from all of that interconnectedness. Um, is there anything else about Shazam that you you really liked and you responded to? Yeah, I, I, I really like that... Um you know, I thought Zachary Levi was was just so good at like kind of capturing basically like uh, you know a kid in a, in a swole adult's body. Like he <laughs> he did it so well. Uh, like there were times where he almost felt too childlike for a guy who's still like fourteen years old. But um, you could tell he was just having such a blast. And and yeah, I I would have never expected Chuck would be like a swole superhero, but I never expected Jim from the Office to like you know make a silent horror movie and also become buff for like a Michael Bay film. So I, I guess, you know, sitcom stars, they, they can transform. <laughs> yeah. W- w- could you cast a, a sitcom, a dweebish sitcom figure into an, into a superhero movie right now? Is there anybody who springs to your mind? Like is Jim Parsons our next Green Lantern, you think? 
Oh God, no! Please no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm trying to think of like if someone from Parks and Rec could do that transformation. That isn't Chris Pratt because I mean he's he's just forgettable at this point. He's he's like a discount Brandon Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> But he he has done that as well. I mean, in, in yeah, many yeah. ways. I guess maybe if if Adam Scott were were cast as uh, as Galactus, that would probably oh, be. Oh man, that's yeah. that's as close as we're going to get. Sign uh, me up, um, Miles. Thank you for uh, breaking down all things Shazam. I appreciate it. Thank you. Now let's go to my conversation with director David Sandberg. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of The Big Picture is brought to you by Philo. Say goodbye to expensive TV bills and horrible customer service with Philo. Philo is a new way to watch all the TV you love. It's the cheapest way to watch over 50 of your favorite channels like Discovery and Nickelodeon, MTV, A&E, if you're like me, the History Channel. Catch the biggest shows on TV like The Walking Dead or Live PD, SpongeBob and Paw Patrol for the kids, plus tons of classic shows and movies. Enjoy live and on-demand TV plus unlimited recording for only 20 bucks a month and never miss a minute of the shows you love. Philo is great for watching TV from your TV or your phone or your computer, really wherever you want. There's never been a better deal on cord-free, commitment-free, hassle-free TV. You can start your free trial instantly with just a phone number. Philo is available on Roku, iOS, Fire TV, Android, and Apple TV. To start your free trial, visit philo.tv backslash big picture. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV backslash big picture. Delighted to be joined by David Sandberg. David, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. David, I have a question. You're from Sweden. Do they have DC Comics in Sweden? They sure do. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, though, in that they didn't really advertise it as much in that, okay, this is Marvel, this is DC. At least not what I can remember, because I've been sort of fascinated by this whole sort of DC versus Marvel that some fans are, you know, uh, into. Because uh, I didn't really realize that when I was a kid. You know, like I had this comic book that I really loved that was Superman and Spider-Man fighting together. Huh. And to me, that wasn't anything weirder. of like, oh, the two from two universes. To me, that was just, yeah, they're they're all superheroes. Of course they're. Was know. that some sort of crossover event that yeah. had happened between the two publishers? Yeah. So were you deeply familiar with Shazam as a kid? Was it something you knew I about? wasn't, no. Okay. I mean, he's... Um, yeah, no, I didn't really <laughs> learn about him until I I got this job. Basically, you know, it was the studio that that pitched it to me. Uh, they asked if I would be interested, in it, and they said that it's basically uh, big but with superpowers, which sounded awesome. But yeah, I, I'd like I'd heard the name and I'd seen like pictures of him, and or you know, he shows up a little here and there. But yeah, he's he's kind of fallen off to the wayside. Yeah, I, w- I want to talk about that, but let's let's go back a little bit. So obviously, you've made two films before this in America. And I, as I understand it, you basically got your start because you had a, a viral hit short film that yes. then turned into a full-length film. Yeah, my wife Lotta and I, we uh, we made a, a little short uh, in our home in Gothenburg for called Lights Out that we made for no money at all. It was just two and a half minutes short. Uh, made it for like an online contest. But after we uploaded it to YouTube, a couple of months after that, it just went viral. Like we just saw it, you know, I was like, I saw someone on Reddit link to it. I was like, oh, someone discovered our short. And we went to uh, like Vimeo and to check the views. And it was uh, like 17,000. I was like, holy, I mean, that is so many people. And then like a minute later, it was 70,000. And then it just kept going and going and going. Like like the day after or something, we were sitting there sort of refreshing the page to see it go over a million. And it didn't stop. It just kept going. Um, and, you know, I was telling Lotta that you know, I've heard of people like, getting representation in Hollywood through things like this. 
And I think it was actually the morning after I mentioned that to Lotta that we got our first email from like a manager <laughs> over here. And then we got tons of emails from agents and producers and studios and actors and, and all kinds of people. Um, and uh, yeah, that just started our, our whole journey. Was that the goal when you entered the contest? Was your expectation that you would win? No, and then- I, I thought like something like this wouldn't happen with just a two and a half minute short. Like m- the plan was basically that, you know, I, I tried getting money from like the Swedish Film Institute and places like this for uh, to make longer shorts. And they, you know, they were like, well, you're too in- inexperienced for uh, for the professional money or uh, or you too too old for beginner money. And it was like, well, what am I supposed to do? So, you know, Lotta and I started making things on our own. And the plan was basically to, all right, we'll keep doing these little shorts and then hopefully we'll get some money to do a longer short and maybe that can eventually be turned into like a Swedish feature. And then somewhere way down the line, maybe you get a shot at at Hollywood. Um, But instead, yeah, it was like, I I keep saying that it's like hitting the warp zone in Super Mario Brothers where it's like, oh, you just get to jump to the end level right away. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Did you know that you wanted to make uh, sort of genre-driven stuff when you were, you know, it was the expectation that you'd make a film in Sweden, was it that you do a genre movie, a horror movie, something like that? That's what I w- was trying to make, make horror movies in Sweden. Like, I, I, that's what I did with my friends, you know, when, when we were younger. Uh, but I think that's part of why it didn't work out in Sweden because I've, I am sort of a genre fan and I like very you know, more audience-pleasing movies. That's kind of what I want to make. And in Sweden, you know, since it is sort of government grants and all of this, it's, it's a bit like, um, you know, they make more sort of important films about sort of society and, and people and, you know, a lot of alcoholics and, you know, you know, it was probably a better fit for Hollywood just because I, I have a more commercial kind of inclination, I guess. So did you do the tours and visit all the studios and say, like, I'd like to expand Lights Out into a full-length feature? Well, I mean, what happened was that uh, as soon as I had we had reps here, they were like, hey, can you guys come over here? We have a bunch of people we'd like you to meet. And it was like, we don't have any money. We can't fly to What were you US. doing uh, professionally? Like, what were you, how were you so, earning your living? So Lotta was, uh, she was working in a group, group home. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people with uh, disabilities. Uh, and I was sort of a freelancing animator, I guess, because I, I had, uh, you know, when I was a teen or my early 20s, I guess, I, I tried to make movies with friends, but now all of a sudden they all had jobs <laughs> and stuff. So it got harder to, <laughs> to get everyone together. So I started doing animation because that was something I could do all by myself. Uh, and there was nothing to stop me, you know. And I actually had some viral success with a uh, with a short that, that I made in Swedish, but because it wasn't Swedish, it only got you know to Scandinavia. But that led me to uh, be able to actually get some jobs doing like animated little commercials and things like that, like because it was comedy basically. So companies saw that and like, hey, we like your your humor and your style. Can you make like a little commercial for us for for online? So I, I was trying to do that. But it wasn't really enough to pay the bills. But uh, I tried. Did you have a, a culture shock when you were suddenly a Hollywood filmmaker? Like, that's a yes. pretty radical change. It, I mean, I had never been on a professional film set before until I was the director of it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like that nightmare when you're like realizing you're standing in front of a crowd of people and you're supposed to do a presentation and you're in your underwear kind of thing. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I'd never been on a professional film set. I, I didn't really know how it worked. I've always 
been interested in and try to read about it and look, watch a lot of like behind the scenes things and listen to commentaries on DVDs. But there's only so much you can learn from that. So, you know, before we started shooting Lights Out, I had to take my first AD aside and like ask him, like, so when do I say action? <laughs> because I... How know, did he respond? Well, I mean, he, he was very nice about it okay. and sort of explained. He wasn't you like, know. get this guy out of here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I had hired him, so yeah. Um, no, but, you know, okay, so they say sound speed and then like, yeah, the camera operator says set or ready and then you can say action, and, you know. Did you have a lot of self-doubt at this time or did you? Oh, like, yeah, I still do <laughs> every day. Um, no, no, tons of self-doubt. And uh, yeah, and there, there was even some friction with, with some of the crew where it's like, I think there was a little bit of a feeling of, oh, we're working for this guy, you know, and, and kind of slumming it in a, you know, $5 million horror movie. So it, it was a bit of friction and I had to kind of prove myself a little bit and, you know, I remember having an argument with the, some people in the camera department about cameras, where it's like, no, I actually know how cameras work. Maybe I, I don't know, like, all of the stuff about how film sets work, but I, I still know how to tell stories. And I know some technical things like how cameras work and things like that, because I've had, I've done a lot of stuff on my own. What was the most surprising thing about actually making your first feature? What is, the, what is something that you actually didn't know that you were like, oh, I didn't know it works this way? Well, well, one thing was that I thought, you know, the schedule is the schedule. And if you blow that, you're screwed. Mm. Like, you know, you, each day it's like, okay, we're shooting these scenes today. And I was like, well, if we're not shooting these scenes, then they're not going to end up in the movie. So I, I would be, I would stress out like crazy. And like when we had very little time left for a scene, it was like, well, let's just, just do it in one setup. You know, let's just do it with no cuts. Just put a, up a camera and get it. So we get it. But then I realized that movie schedules are a bit flexible like if you don't get it one day you can sort of make up for it and do it another day or what i also realized that you can even ask the studio of like getting an extra day or two like it's not impossible because you know schedules and budgets in movies are guesswork you know it's interesting. I feel like you're giving away trade secrets here. Like you're not supposed to say that so that the <laughs> studio can keep you in line. Right, right, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. You have to stick to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so what about jumping to your next feature, which is obviously bigger and part of yeah. a sort of like an expanded universe. And I feel like that ties in a little bit to Shazam too. Yeah, that was the, such a pleasant experience <laughs> because by then for, for Annabelle Creation, now I knew how a film set worked. And like I'd learned so much and now it was kind of the same thing, another horror movie, but we had, you know, almost three times the budget now. Uh, so there were new things like I hadn't shot on a set before where you actually build on a soundstage and build the sets because uh, Lights Out was all on location. Um, but overall, that was super pleasant because it's just like, all right, I'm working with people I've worked with before. I know how this works. We have plenty of money to do what we want to do and and that was yeah and then with shazam it was kind of like making your first movie again because it was such a new people up. or because it was a bigger bigger yeah, a film? lot of the same people yeah. uh which uh was great <laughs> that, that to, to be able to you know go into it with people you know and, and people who also stepped up in, in a way like uh costume designer Le uh, leah butler who i worked with on Alba creation you know she'd never done a superhero movie before like designing a super suit and, and doing all that or, or production design jennifer spence and, and like it felt like we all got to step up together you know? when you came on to shazam was the script done 
Did you know what the film was going to be in that way? The, well, what happened was when they called me, you know, they, they've been wanting to make a Shazam movie for quite a while. Um, and do you know why that is? I'm, I'm interested in that because he's obviously, as you said, not one of sort of yeah. the, like the top five figures in that world. Well, I think why they wanted to make him is because he's it's the ultimate wish fulfillment. You know, it's a kid who gets to become a superhero. And, you know, every kid dreams about that. And just the, the concept of it just opens up for so many possibilities just because just the the big aspect of it a kid who gets to be an adult is like oh it gives you all these ideas of course a kid would try this would try that but and you add superpowers to that it's just you know it's endless uh possibilities um so i mean i i absolutely understand why they wanted to do it but when i came on board they you know they called me up and they said you know we have this script that's basically Shazam versus Black Adam, which is his longtime nemesis. And I think they were finding that it was like oh, too much for one movie, that it was better to just let, let's give Shazam his proper, you know, the space that he needs uh, to, to properly do this. And that, that's when they called me. So, you know, together with uh, Henry Gaden and everyone at the studio and the producer, we would sort of get together and talk about our, you know, how do we change the script? <laughs> you know, we have to take out Black Adam and then, you know, we'll give more space to Savannah and, and the bad guys. Um, so we'd, we'd get together every week, talk it through. Then Henry would go off, write pages, and we'd get together and have notes on those pages. And it was pretty cool, very collaborative. Are you the kind of person who watches a lot of films before starting something and starts to pull from different films that you've experienced in the past? Not, not that I watch a lot of films. It's more that, you know, I, I remember <laughs> films very well. Uh, I have quite a, a, a filmic memory, I guess, which my wife finds funny because whenever I know a song, she's like, all right, what movie was it in? Like, because that's why I know songs. Like, oh, yeah, that was in Magnolia. Yeah, <laughs> <You> yeah. <know? laughs> so, yeah, I, it all gets stored in here. So it's not like I have to sit down and, and rewatch. And things. do you use that beforehand to talk to people working on the film, to talk to the screenwriter, say, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm looking for X, Y, and Z? Were yeah, like and, and, touch especially, here? and especially with the effects and things, where it's like, oh, this is basically that shot in Terminator 2 when the T-1000 gets, you know, comes back together and rises up. And mm. there's a lot of reference to references to shots in uh, other movies. Like, yeah, I want it to explode. Like, the buildings explode in War of the Worlds, the Spielbergs, you know, when the, the tripods shoot through the buildings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of that. So that's 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 a common move for you. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean that that's what I've had to learn over here in Hollywood is how to communicate what you have in your head. Because back in Sweden, doing no budget films or doing animation and stuff by myself, I didn't have to do that because I, well, I was the one doing everything. You know, from the music to the vis visual effects and the editing. And then when you get here, that that has been the big thing for me to learn is how to communicate that to other people and you know a lot of times words isn't enough so you have to uh do you know little drawings little animations which you know it's come in handy that i know how to do those things and sometimes even you know on this movie i just shoot myself playing with action figures basically like oh yeah he flies in like this and he lands <laughs> and like do little angles and then we'd like cut that together and give that to previs like oh this is what i want and then they do it in CG, you know, so we could. Uh, is that a, is there. that a common strategy for superhero previs? Like rather than storyboard or something, you you'll just shoot action figures. Like playing? that's a fascinating. I don't know thing. if it's common, but it's <laughs> like yeah, whatever you need to do to quickly convey something because it's 
you know, it, it takes so many iterations of, you know, if you just explain something, you know, it, you in your head is like, oh, this is the clearest explanation ever because <laughs> you see that and then you get it back and it's like, oh, yeah, of course, that that's how they interpreted it. And you have to go again and you, then you have to go again and again and again until it gets closer to what you want, you know. Um yeah, yeah, even like super tiny things like, yeah, I want a gray line down here uh, and then one up here and then you get it back and there's several gray lines or like the thickness is not what you imagined. And because there's a lot of things that in your head is just obvious, but but they're so obvious in your head that you have problems with communicating them. I really admire the tone of the movie and I think it's a, it's a, a bit different from the previous DC films. And there's obviously been a lot of conversation about that. I'm curious how much of that was set out early on to say this has to be lighter it has to be meta at times it has to be kind of um emotionally light on its feet well the great thing was that there was no mandate from the studio about anything it was just like let's make the best shazam movie that we can and shazam the character just naturally lends himself to a lighter tone a more fun tone because it is you know again the wishful film and it's it's the kid you know a lot of superheroes they get their powers when they're you know, adults and it's like they're weighed down by the responsibilities and here you have an irresponsible kid getting it. So, uh, the tone was just there in the material. And then what I liked about it was that, yeah, that there was no mandate to like, Oh, you have to set up these things that are going to happen in the universe, or you, you have to include these things or not include these things. We were just focused on making uh, a good Shazam movie. And then of course we could reference the universe as much as we wanted and put in little Easter eggs and all these things because it is set in the DC universe. Is that a relief to you to not be bound to this sort of long continuity that you have to tell yeah. a story inside of? Yeah. And, and then just the fact that, you know, we got to cast everyone in this movie. Like it, it wasn't like, oh, you know, this other director has already cast these people, you know. So it, it felt very much like, okay, we got to do our own thing. It was the same thing with what I loved about Animal Creation, that even though it is a sequel and it's part of the universe, it was a prequel with all new characters and like a new story. So it didn't feel like, oh, this is a puzzle piece and a bigger thing. It, it just felt like this is this movie. You couldn't recast Annabelle, though. She was sad. We had to go <laughs> with her. We did actually redesign her a little bit. Hmm. Uh, just because <laughs> James actually felt that she was almost too obviously evil looking you know like the first design of it so we actually softened her features a little bit oh. about creation just to because otherwise because it, it was almost like well why would a child even put that in the room you know <laughs> so so we we, we softened her features a what about bit. zachary levi where did how did you land on him i think he was a surprising choice for a lot of people when they heard about it yeah yeah, yeah he was a surprising choice for me as well because i i actually didn't uh i wasn't familiar with him i'd never seen chuck which is probably a good thing because that meant I didn't have any preconceived notions. But I mean, we just had a really long casting process and uh, met with or got self tapes from over a hundred people. Um, but because yes, casting is just so important. You know, you want to find these people who just embody these characters or who really get these characters because, you know, when you're on the set, you're going to run into so many issues that you don't want to worry about, like having to pull a performance out of someone because you have so much other problems to deal with. And Zach, you know, when I saw his audition tape right away, it was like, well, he's the guy. He, he was actually auditioning for a different character. Uh, but when I saw him, it was like, he's the guy. So I pitched him to the studio and they, they flew him out here. Uh, and I think what I loved about him was that he, he has this 
very childlike enthusiasm and excitement. And I think that made us realize as well that, oh, that's what it is to be a kid. Because a lot of actors, you know, if they're adults, they dumb themselves down, you know, to play a kid. Well, he's more about the excitement and the enthusiasm, which is something you kind of lose when you become an adult, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was quite a process before we found him. And and we had this rule that if you want to be Shazam, you have to come in and audition. Because even though you have actors who have been in, you know, a hundred movies before, you've never seen them play a, a child. So that was something that we really wanted to see that you could do. That's really interesting. What about the rest of the cast? I mean, there's a lot of people that I had, hadn't seen before. There's obviously a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, I imagine you had to span far and wide. Very much so. I mean, the the... The first, the two easiest ones to cast were Grace Fulton, who plays Mary, because I, I worked with her on, on um, uh, Annabelle Creation. And then uh, Jack Dylan Grazer was actually, you know, the movie, the studio, uh, New Line, they were, uh, uh, they, they were like, hey, we just shot this movie, It. Uh, there's some great kids in that movie. Uh, check it out and see if, if anyone is good for like Billy or Freddy or something like that. And then, yeah, I saw Jack and he was just, he was Freddy, you know, he is this really smart, fast talking kid who just, and he's hilarious. He's a really good actor. He is. Yes. Um, and he, yeah, no, he, and he's a good improviser as well. Like mm. him and, 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 uh, Zach would just riff on things and change things up and which, uh, you know, would crack me up. So I, I, I you know, do take after take just to see what we'd get. Cause you can't really just. You don't know if you've gotten everything yet, so you basically keep going till you feel like oh, okay, they're you know they're probably not going to come up with anything more after this. That's a that's raising an interesting thing. It's sort of like how loose can you be in a movie like this, which has a lot of VFX and this big sort of hierarchy of of storytelling. Yeah. So, did you do that? Did you uh, improvise a lot on the set? Yeah, I mean, it's not like full on improvisation. But they're they're following the script, but they're adding their own flares and their own little jokes in there and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean. For regular, you know, non-heavy VFX heavy scenes, you know, we'd keep it loose and not sort of storyboard and, you know, just work it out on the day, which is the more fun way to do it. Because with all the 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 big action, you have to work it out so far in, in advance and you have to do this previous animation and you cut that together and you watch that over and over. So by the time, you know comes to actually shoot it you're already tired of it because <laughs> you know what it is and it's it's just very technical to shoot as well because you, you only shoot these little tiny pieces at a time because like all right we're, sh we're just shooting this piece today because this other piece is cgi this piece is on a blue screen stage this little piece is a second unit shot so it gets very split up uh which is not fun for the actors as well because not only do they have to keep track of everything but you get kind of lost i know with mark strong we started out shooting a lot of those things with him, and then we had a scene where he he's talking to the wizard, and where it has this big sort of speech to him, and it was like, oh, finally, like making a acting in a scene, yeah. like a full thing. Is that the most challenging part about making a movie that is this big? Is just trying to maneuver yeah. all of those different pieces? Yeah, the time it takes, and and um, yeah, all, all all the visual effects. It's like. Yeah, the, the more spectacular it looks on screen, the more boring it probably was to shoot because it just takes forever and it's just so much planning and you get kind of sick of it, you know. And and it's, it's weird as well that you don't really see things, the, the, what they will actually look like until the movie's complete, basically. 
uh, and and there were because it takes so long to finish these VFX. So there were even some shots where it's like I cut them, you know, pretty because I was like, I don't know if the VFX will actually get there in time. And like, if it doesn't, then we're gonna have something that looks bad in the movie. So let's just play it safe and cut these little things, you know. What happens when you have a cut? Do you have to show it to the studio and also to sort of the DC creative council? Like, what is that process like? Yeah, I mean, I have I have a tendency to show uh, a cut very early to the studio because, you, you know, according to DGA rules and everything, you get 10 weeks to do a director's cut. And during that time, you can, you know, you don't have to let the studio in and see anything. Like, it's all up to you who gets to see it. But I have a tendency to show it pretty early. Like, Manable Creation, I showed it like four weeks in. I think on this one was probably something similar, four and a half, five weeks or something like that. Just to get there, just to see what their feedback is and their input. Partly because you get kind of lost, you know. So you want to have someone outside come in and see and 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 pick out the things that you're maybe missing because you're so lost in it um but also it's like if they're gonna have notes or something then let's deal with it early rather than like go all the way down a path and then find out like oh they they're not okay with that did you find that you had to maneuver a lot of things once you after you did that first assembly no, not many. I mean, I have a very good relationship with everyone. And it was cool that even, uh, you know, Walter Hamada, who's been an executive at New Line and, and I've worked with on all my movies, during the making of this, he became the head of DC. So it's like, it was all people I knew. And, and you, we have a good re- working relationship. But so it wasn't anything hard, really. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you like to make audience friendly movies. So yeah. I'm wondering if you're now the films that you're making are the ones that you thought you would be making if you ever had a chance to kind of do the Hollywood thing. Absolutely. Yes. This is this is where you want to be. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> I, I want to make movies that are a good time at the movies, you know. And, and it's so rewarding with horror movies and with this one who's a, pretty much a comedy, you mm-hmm. know. There is so, a lot of horror in this too, I did notice. You've, you have some elements. You've got to have a little bit of everything, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, no, but it's just so rewarding to like sit in a, in in with an audience and hear their the laughters or their screams or applause sometimes and it's yeah I, I i like making like popcorn movies you know what's your hope are you hoping to stay working in the dc universe so do you have other original films that you want to do i want to do a little bit of everything man. I, I mean there are so many genres i want to explore as well like i've always been a big science fiction fan i'd love to do that i want to do more horror as well i'm not certainly not done with that and uh yeah i mean we'll, we'll see what happens with the whole um i mean the the thing with a movie like this it's just such a huge commitment you know it's like two years of 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 your life with you know like with annabelle and lights out you know you can move, do a movie like that every year <laughs> and uh with a superhero movie you can't because when, when did you sign on to shazam it was uh yeah during post-production of annabelle creation you know studio was very happy with how it turned out and how it tested and that's when they they called me and it was it's kind of weird because it's it's not really that definitive moment of oh you're hired it's more like you start talking about it and like you start having meetings and then those meetings get a little more and more sort of advanced uh and uh it's weird because even like things like green lights and things like that it can happen pretty late. Like I remember on Lights Out, we we were in our production office, uh, sort of, <laughs> you know, getting everything ready. 
and we still didn't have the official green light. And it was like, and I was talking to to someone there. I was like, we have the office and everything. I was like, aren't we green lit? It's like, and they were like, you know, someone had worked on water for elephants or whatever. And they were saying that, well, we were basically shooting. We had the big train. We had everything before we got our green light. So it's like, yeah, it's just a lot looser than you think, you know, that the, is the really whole fa- process. That is fascinating. Um, if you haven't seen Shazam, maybe turn off this podcast because I just want to ask a couple of questions about the future of the Shazam movies that are related to what happens at the end. So, you know, right. without saying too much, you do set up the possibility of a basically a wider Shazam universe specifically yeah. and a lot of characters that maybe people wouldn't expect at the end of the movie. Yeah. And... I'm curious if you feel like you like a fealty that you need to be the person that tells that story if it goes forward because there's it sets up the potential for a lot. Yeah, I mean, it does. I'm mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll see how it develops really because it's yeah. People are all, right away. They're like, oh, do you want to do Shazam too? It's like maybe I don't know. Like it, it feels like I've been so focused on this and just getting this finished and getting it out there that it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're asking someone who just ran a marathon. It's like, Hey, do you want to run another marathon? It's like, ah, uh, just let me breathe for a second, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but it, yeah, there's certainly more you, you could do. With it. Do you feel the weight of momentum at all though, in your career where you say like, I have to follow this up with something? I think this is the first time where I feel like, okay, I can actually, take a breather because you know previously you know during post on uh, lights out i'd already been attached to annabelle creation because it's like oh yeah let's go and during post on annabelle creation i was already attached to this because it's like all right i'm in hollywood this is my chance let's not slow down um but but and it that's a little crazy because it like uh, lights out uh came out while i was shooting annabelle creation so I had we like one day of shooting. We just had to uh, quit a little earlier so I could go to the premiere here in Hollywood, which is like such a Hollywood life. It's like, yeah, let's wrap a little early. I have to do th- go to the premiere of my <laughs> my other movie. Um, no, but it's finally like after this, it feels like I think I need to just take a moment. So this is the first time where I have a movie coming out and I'm not already working on the next movie. So yeah, I, I want to just. Take a little easy, see family. Have you got a <laughs> like, vacation planned? What are you going to do? I just want to hang around at home. Okay. You know, I, I haven't been home in <laughs> in, uh, in in quite a while. What's in your our house? What's your relationship to uh, sort of the Swedish film community at this stage? Because you really, like you there, said, you catapulted into there Hollywood. There isn't one. Yes, because I mean, we didn't. You know, Loth and I, we never made a professional movie in Sweden. We never got into that community, uh, and. I think maybe a lot of people in Sweden don't even realize that I am Swedish. Uh, and it's weird because we've even heard of, someone was telling me about that, uh, there's this community of like Hollywood Swedes. Cause there are a lot of like Swedish actors like, uh, Alicia Vikander and Joel Kinnaman and Alexander Skarsgård and, uh, you know, all, all these people. And apparently they have get togethers that I've heard about. Oh, all wow. These Swedes in Hollywood. And it's like, but, We've never been invited. <laughs> so it's like, but I, but I think it is that thing because you yeah, aren't in though. They all, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I think it is all that thing of like, they all came here sort of the same path through Swedish movies and then got here while, you know, Lotta and I, we just suddenly found ourselves here and, and have no connection to the Swedish film industry. And it was actually funny because I was asking, I met uh, Fetty Alvarez a little while ago. 
you know, who, who directed the uh, girl in the spider's web. And I was asking him like, what's it like shooting in Sweden? Because like, I'm from Sweden, but I've never shot there. You know, that's so fascinating. David, I end every episode of this show by asking filmmakers, what's the last great thing that they have seen? I don't know if you've had time to see many movies lately, but what is the last great thing you've um, seen? I saw Dragged Across across Concrete. Yes. Uh, the it's been other a day. topic of much conversation in our office lately. Oh, it has? Yeah. yeah what do I, you think? It was very long and slow, but I really liked it. And it was so brutal. <laughs> like, I have a tendency of showing Lotta really horrible things. Like, I'll, I'll show her, like, hey, check this out. And it's like, it's from a horror movie I've seen. And she's like, oh, why are you showing me that? And for this one, I was like, hey, rem- remember Jennifer Carpenter, you know, from like Dexter? You have to check out her part in this movie. And I showed her that. And it's like, oh, it's just so depressing and brutal. But uh, yeah, no, I, I like that movie. That's a great one. David, thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. Thanks again to my guests, David Sandberg and the Ringers, Miles Surrey. Please tune into the big picture later this week. We'll have two more episodes. One will feature a conversation with one of my favorite filmmakers, Alex Ross Perry, and the star of his new film, Her Smell, the wonderful actress, Elizabeth Moss. And then we'll be continuing our Marvel Month series. I'll be speaking with David Shoemaker about one of my favorite Marvel movies, and I know one of his, Guardians of the Galaxy. And if you haven't heard the first two installments of that series, please check them out. Amanda Dobbins and I talked about Captain America, the first Avenger. And then Chris Ryan and I talked about the first Avengers movie. So check it out later this week. Today's episode of The Big Picture was brought to you by Philo. Philo has over 50 of your favorite channels like Discovery and Science Channel, Hallmark, The Food Network, AMC, Nickelodeon. Enjoy live and on-demand TV plus unlimited recording for only $20 a month with no contract needed. Philo is available on Roku, iOS, Fire TV, Android TV, and Apple TV. So start your free trial instantly with just a phone number. To start it, you just visit philo.tv backslash bigpicture. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV backslash big picture.